Amen. Amen. Man, it is so good uh, to be back with y'all today after a couple of weeks of uh, COVID holiday. And so thank you for your prayers for me and for the rest of the staff as we've had time to uh, recover, uh, to reflect, and just to uh, experience God's goodness uh, through some of you ministering to our families uh, in tasteless food, which is not a, not a knock against your uh, cooking. It's just the experience of the COVID life. And so thank you so much for your ministry uh, to our families and to this church and to the Lord ultimately. And just uh, continue to pray that God's grace and his favor would rest upon uh, you and upon this body. And he would enrich us as we have opportunity to spend time with him. Man, what a great last couple of weeks with uh, Brad Carble preaching and wrapping up our Advent series. Talking about love or an amazing way to handle uh, God's word and really call us to this rich experience of his love. And then those who served last week in this prayer service, finishing up 2020 and asking that God would keep our hearts sensitive to his movements. What a, what a great way. I love finishing uh, the year that way with that prayer service, and it, it uh, broke my heart not to be able to be here, but in God's providence, that is, that is what he had for us. So listen, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be revisiting our identity as a church, Grow, Serve, and Go. Uh, so you'll see this a number of different places. You see it on our bulletins when we have those. You see it on our website. You hear us talk about it often, that we want to be a church that's growing Christ's followers to serve him faithfully and to go forth with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to reach the lost. And so today we have opportunity to uh, consider what it might look like for us to think about spiritual growth. Now, as we look at this, I want you to understand that we're not talking about you primarily just as an individual, but we're talking about the fact that as a body, it's so incredibly important for us to consider the growth of our brothers and sisters around us just as, as they consider us and how they might stir us up and how they might uh, magnify the Lord Christ in our hearts. So this morning, we're going to be in Romans chapter 15. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 if you want to begin to make your way there. If you want to make your way there. Let's read this word together and then I'll ask God's blessing once more. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have, everybody say, hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray once more. God, we see the ultimate reality here in verse 6 is that we would glorify you with one mind, with one voice. Yet it is our experience, especially in 2020, that there is so much division in the world in our private lives, and at times within our fellowship. 
Yet, God, you, you still call us to do this together, to grow together, to consider together, to look out for the needs and the interests of others. Father, the work that you have begun in us in salvation, I pray that today that you would move forward. And I pray that your name would be glorified, that you might be magnified in our lives and the ways that we live. That your spirit would be moving in our midst, stirring our hearts, awakening us to the realities of the ravages of sin, to the schemes of the devil, and to the work of your spirit. God, would you bless this time? Would you be here in this place? Would you cause us to worship you as we give our minds and our attentions and our focus to the careful study of your word? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, as we get into this, you're going to recognize that the Apostle Paul essentially splits their, their church body there in Rome into two different groups. And so he says, we, I've, we've got the strong, and he, he includes himself in this group. And he says, and then we've got the weak over here. Now, if you've read through chapter 14, you'll recognize that, that this division here really centers on a number of different things that go back to some form of their understanding of Jewish law and their application thereof. 14, uh, chapter 1 says, as for, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but listen to this, but not to quarrel over opinions. Not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may, he may eat, how's that? May eat anything uh, with a side of bacon, uh, while the weak person only, each, only eats, oh my word. Who do we have that could come read this? Let's try this once more. That's, this is what happens when you take two weeks off. Your tongue just... As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables or vegetables, if you prefer. Now, as we get into this and we try and update this and, and think through what are things that, that likely would come into our mind, I think there's this temptation for some of us to bring in the idea of masks. And, and we might have the idea that those who don't wear them and, and just kind of rail against them, they're the strong, and those who do and advocate for them they are the weak. Now, why I think that is an inappropriate thing to bring into this is because you'll recognize all of chapter 14 centers on those things that pertain to the law. They center on those things that pertain to Jewish identity. Not, not, not things that are just kind of tertiary and an odd experience for us to go through in this moment. Now, larger than that, I think there is an issue of division that is addressed in here, but this is not a good passage to build up and to make an argument either for or against the wearing of facial cloth coverings. Let's just kind of establish that before we move into this. <clears throat> now look at what he goes on through. He discusses in verse, uh, verses 1 and 2 kind of the division and the direction, that there is a division and that he gives to them a direction. He says, we who are, everybody say strong, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. 
And so he goes into the midst of this, and he puts himself within this category of strong, which, if we're honest, is where we all desire to be. And, and frequently, it's the place where we don't put the people we disagree with, right? And so if there's someone we disagree with in some sense, in some fashion, in some perspective, then we take this person and we say, this person is weak in the faith. And and, and in my perspective, is the only one that's a true advocacy of being a strong position in the faith. And this is such a great way to, to win an argument, but a terrible way to apply what Scripture is saying. Look at what he writes here. Focus on the fact that he says, we have an obligation to bear. We have an obligation to bear for the weaknesses of the weak. Paul isn't setting categories and saying, you are, you're a good person and you're a bad person. You're a person who's, 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 who's superior in your faith and you're a person whose faith is anemic. Paul, drawing out one moment in time, says, this is your experience. You're experiencing the solidness of your faith and you're experiencing the waywardness of your reality. And what is the strong person's obligation? It is to bear with the failings or the weakness or the infirmity of the weak. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So in this, we see this strong person not not being told "You you need to bear the weak people. You need to tolerate the weak people. You need to look at the weak people around you and say, man, you are annoying as I'll get out, but I'm willing to bear with you. No, what does he say? He says, bear with their failings. This is kind of the picture here. Uh, yesterday, we were, we were in the kitchen and, and, and Valerie asked me to fix something for our youngest, and so I'm there and I'm, I'm fixing it and it's yogurt, and I said, hey, listen, this yogurt is out of date. And she said, well, smell it. See if it's any good. And so it's like, that's rude and insensitive. And so, and I can't smell anything or taste anything, but I'm looking at this yogurt and I'm willing myself to smell good smelling yogurt. And you know what I smelled? Nothing. I smelled brokenness and heartbreak, y'all. Over and over again, throughout this experience, I've recognized my own inability highlighted in this particular way and other ways that have necessitated people with that ability, people with the ability to leave their house during that 14-day window to bring groceries, to bring foods, to minister to our family because we had no right ability to leave. This is what it is to bear with one another's burdens. They didn't look at our encumbrances. They didn't look at our setbacks and say, oh, what a fool, look at them. Let's watch them suffer in this. Well, some of you did. Someone sipped bananas. But, but what we see in the midst of this is an opportunity to serve the people around us. Now listen, some of us over the course of our life, we're going to go through life having this self-perception of only ever being strong in our faith. And people around you are going to look at you and recognize that what you're engaging with and what you're realizing isn't actually strength, it's hubris. It's weakness masquerading as strength to puff you up and allow you to live comfortably within your pride. And I pray that you have a friend, brothers and sisters around you who love you enough, who love and submit to the Lord Jesus enough, that they would come up beside you and say, hey, listen, you're not actually strong. You're weak. You're living in your flesh, you're living in your self-sufficiency, but you're weak. But check this out, I don't just want to point this out to you. What I want to do is come alongside you, and I want to support you and your family. If you need help, and I want to help you. 
you have a need and I want to meet it. This is what a church does. This is what a body of believers does. Those of us who happen to be at this moment strong in our faith, we have an obligation. We have this command to come alongside our weak brothers and sisters to look at those things which would please us, which would be easy to us and say, not right now. What is important for me are the needs and necessities, the infirmities of my brothers and sisters, and I'm going to come along beside them, and I'm going to lift them up. This requires us to be intimately woven with one another that our lives might be an open, vulnerable reflection to one another. This requires those of us who are weak to be transparent in our weaknesses. To say, hey, listen, there's this particular sin that is besetting me. There's this particular weakness that I can't overcome. There's this constant proclivity that I find myself walking in. I see this in my relationship with my wife. I see this in my relationship with my kids. I see this in my relationship and my inability to stay in God's word and to stay constant in prayer. Would you walk with me? And the strong person hears that and they say, yes, I've been strong in the word. Yes, my relationship is secure. Yes, I remember what it was like to be weak. And we come alongside and we lift the other person up because we recognize this is what Christianity looks like. It's seeing the weaknesses and the encumbrances around us and saying we are all in this together. We're all moving forward together. There are no weak ones we kick to the side. We are going to be strong together. Amen? That's why he says, verse 2, he says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. The ultimate goal of a strong person working with a weak person is to build up this weak person. To build them up, this idea to help them to be mature in Christ. Now listen. Some of us as strong people or people who are strong in one particular situation, this is going to call upon you to say some difficult things to those around you. Your brother or sister is going to come to you, they're going to have some particular need, and your temptation in that moment is going to be to be hope, just to shut it up and just nod knowingly and say, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, girl, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Man, could we love one another enough to say the hard things? Could we love one another enough to say the difficult things? Could we risk losing friendships to build our brother and sister up in Christ? Now listen, someone may come to you and they may say the hard thing in this time. And your temptation in the midst of these things is going to be to move through and systematically to dissect all the ways what they said to you is false on the basis of how they said it to you, instead of seeing the overwhelming difficulties they journeyed through to even say anything to begin with. And don't allow the work of the Spirit to be squashed on the, on the weakness of their argument. See the love and grace in what your brother or sister was trying to do by calling out sin and infirmity and weakness in your life. They want to build you up so that you look more like Jesus. And y'all, the great thing is we have this forerunner of our faith who gives us an example to follow. Verse 3, it says, For Christ did not please himself, and we see this in Philippians 2 and elsewhere, it says, But as it is written, the reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. Now Paul is quoting Psalm 69, verses 9 and 10. Psalm 69, verses 9 and 10 He says, for the zeal of your house has consumed me. The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. 
And so we see this link to John 2, 17, with the zeal of the house of the Lord has consumed him. And this idea that in the midst of this, all those who were reproaching, who were sinning against God, Jesus allowed to fall upon himself. He willingly took upon himself the strong becoming weak so that you and I might be saved. Matthew 8, 17. Matthew 8, 17, we see this beautiful picture enacted of Jesus. Quoting Isaiah 53, 4, Matthew 8, 17 says, This is to fulfill what was spoken of the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. The primary disease which Jesus bore on our behalf is the disease of sin. This malady which would keep us away from knowing God. He took it upon himself. He bore all the reproaches of our lives and the sins of our lives which were headed to the Father and, 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 and heaped upon the Father. And Jesus stood in the midst of those things and he allowed all the curses from our life directed to the Father to hit him instead. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him, speaking of Jesus. All our reproaches he willingly took instead of allowing them to go to the Father. Now look what he says in verse 4. He gives us support in the midst of these things. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. For our instruction. And so in the midst of these things, where do we go for support? Where do we go for encouragement? Well, the word gives it to us. It says that through endurance, that through consolation or encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. What is the purpose of finding yourself in God's word? It's so that you might find him, so that you might hear from him. And according to this verse, that you might have hope. 2020 has been a bleak year for many of us, and a lot of us have gone to the depths to see where we might find hope, where we might find security, where we might find encouragement. Now, one of the places that for me has been a personal and continual encouragement is the book of Lamentations. Now, Lamentations, Jeremiah is going through, and it's a lot of kind of woe is me, and life is so terrible. And then you come to chapter 3 in verse 21. In verses 21 through 23, this is what we read. Jeremiah says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have, everyone say, hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Y'all, it goes on and on and on. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. And then he testifies. He says, great is your faithfulness. God's mercies are going to greet us tomorrow. God's mercies are going to meet us next week. Every morning you wake up, no matter what you're facing that day, God's mercies await your eyes opening. And in that moment when your eyes never open again, what your eyes will behold in that moment, if you've entrusted yourself to the Lord, is his glory shining splendidly. To be here and to journey through the difficulties of this life is not to experience the mercies and the loving kindness of God. It's to experience the mercies and the loving kindness of God surrounded amidst the pollution of the difficulties and the sins of this world. God's mercies await you. His love is steadfast and enduring. And so we find this 
encouragement. We find the idea there that I, that I quoted earlier in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. That's a reality that we shouldn't run past too quickly. The idea that God absolutely cares for you, that he cared for you supremely in the giving of his son, for your redemption, for the forgiveness of your sins. But he cares for you today in your waywardness. He cares for you today in your hypocrisy. He cares for you today in your apathy. He cares for you today in the sense that you wake up and you think, I'm just not sure there's any hope to be had. I'm just not sure I can endure this anymore. God's hope greets you. His mercy longs to be experienced by you. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And what is the goal of all of this, this idea of upbuilding, of, of building one another up, of, of what Joel and Zach were talking about, of helping our brothers and sisters to grow closer to Jesus, to be more like Jesus? Well, verses 5 and 6 begin to give us the goal. Look what he says. He says in verse 5, May the God, so we draw, formerly we draw endurance and encouragement through the scriptures, but now here he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement, the God who placed endurance and encouragement within his word, may he grant you to live in such harmony with one another. You know, the Greek there actually says, may he grant you to think with one another or with each other according to Christ Jesus. It's this idea that in the midst of a group of people, if you have more than one person there, you're going to have a difference of opinion. And certainly 2020 has shown us that any number of us can disagree with any number of things that I formerly thought, believed, or whatever yesterday. But in the midst of these things, what can we agree on? What does Scripture drive us to? It drives us to think the same things of Jesus. We find accord in Christ. We find commonality in Christ. There are a terrific number of tertiary elements in this life. They're going to seek to distract you and be ultimate in your life. And you're going to have this temptation to only build friendships and to only have relationships with people who agree and line up 100% with you. And that's going to be a really small crew. And you're going to miss out on being, be, being able to be impacted by different opinions that other people have. And you're going to miss out on simply being able to impact other people with the gospel. But what he says in the midst of this isn't only find friends and only build churches of people who look like you, talk like you, and think like you. No. What he says is we should be pushing one another to such a great degree towards Christ that in the midst of these things, we live in, what does he say in the ESV? Such harmony. Oneness. In the midst of these things. Because we've chosen to make Jesus most important. Y'all, we've not chosen to make an election most important. We've not chosen to make public health most important. We've not chosen to make decisions most important. We've not chosen to make anything most important except for Christ. He is most important. Y'all, we can go bankrupt. This building can burn to the ground and I can die on this stage and Jesus Christ still rules and reigns. Amen. He gets to be most important. If we ever get this wrong, if we ever lose track of this, then we've completely missed it. 
There's no real harmony and there's no real unity in any church that doesn't make Jesus most important. Jesus gets to rule and reign in a place of supreme importance in our lives. Look at the purpose clause here at the last bit of verse 6. In the midst of these things, thinking the same things in accord with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, verse 6, that with one mind, the ESV renders it that together, that with one mind, that with one voice, we might glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole reason the strong builds up the weak, that we look to Jesus as our example, that we find encouragement and endurance in the scriptures, the whole reason in the midst of these things that, 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 we, that we are thinking the same things, that we are submitted ourselves to the Lord, is so that together people of disparate opinions, people of different backgrounds might t- come together with mon- one mind and with one voice to glorify God together. This is the church. The church will grow or die or be stagnant together. It can't just be the staff. It can't just be a talented few. It can't be a marginal few. It must be all of us together. And the great thing is, is he lumps all of us together. He says, you've got the strong and you've got the weak. It's the obligation, the duty of the strong to bear up underneath the burdens of the weak. Jesus has laid the course for us, the one who is strong enough to overcome all things, that he submitted himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus bore our sins, 1 Peter 2, 24. Our sins have been cast upon him. They've been heaped upon him. He has given us an example of what it is for the strong to die for the weak, that the weak might be made strong, that we are only ever made strong in him. And together, a group of people being made strong in Jesus are Goal, job, objective, perfect fulfillment is that with one voice, under one banner, worshiping one king, that we glorify him forever. Would you pray with me? Father God, what an opportunity you set before us, not just to pursue our own spiritual growth, but to pursue the spiritual growth of our brothers and sisters around us. So God, even now, I pray that you'd be putting into our minds people that we can help to build up. God, I pray that even even now, right now, in our minds, that you might be placing into our minds people that could build us up. In the midst of this word, you have revealed to some of us that we are weak, and we desperately need to be built up, and so... Would you lead brothers and sisters our way? Would you lead us in humility to approach our brothers and sisters and say, listen, I'm weak, I need your help. Would you build me up? God, we thank you for your son Jesus, for what he accomplished on the cross. And God, I pray that for any listening online or in this place who have yet to submit themselves to your son Jesus, God, that they might see themselves as weak and in need of a savior. Your son Jesus willingly took upon the penalty and the punishment for their sins. He endured death. God, he entered into the grave and you raised him again three days later. God, and he sits ready to receive their anxieties. He sits ready to receive their sins. And he stands ready to extend to them salvation. So God, would you move in our midst? Would you stir our hearts? Would you draw us closer to you? We submit these things to you in your son's name. Amen.